I'm Tavis Smiley. We don't black down. We're glad to have you with us in this hour. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Following that tribute to Randall Robinson, now we unpack some trending uh, political headlines with uh, National Washington Post columnist Philip Bump. Philip, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. My great delight. Let me start with this. I see this as breaking news um, in Nashville. Yet another shooting. Uh, this one reported at a school. Um, suspect, we are told, is dead following a shooting at a private school in Nashville. Uh, there are other um, uh, victims in this uh, shooting. Um, it's a, uh, we're told, uh, a, a Christian school uh, for students in preschool through sixth grade. So it's breaking news, uh, and uh, I'm sure the story will be developing uh, throughout the day. Um, but here we go again. It's it's like every other day, every other week. There's another one of these mass shootings. Uh, President Biden was just here in Los Angeles, as you know, Philip, a couple weeks ago, signing an executive order uh, vis-a-vis background checks. But what, what do you make of the fact that this continues, these mass shootings continue in this country unabated, as it were? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really exceptional. Uh, the United States has both a really high rate of gun ownership and a really high rate of mass shootings. Uh, this year has actually seen mass shootings increase at a tick that, that is unusual. Uh, we just started tracking this really over the course of the past decade or so, uh, but this year already stands out in terms of both the number and toll from these these mass shooting events. Uh, and you're right, it's not it's not once a week; it's daily. I mean, these these are happening regularly. Uh, and you know, it's there. There's just there are a lot of guns. There are a lot of guns on the streets. A lot of people have firearms, and you know that uh, unquestionably contributes to it. Right? You know, we hesitate to to say that correlation is causation, uh, but here the United States stands out in two regards: mass shooting events, uh, shooting deaths in general, but mass shooting events in particular, and gun ownership. And I think it's impossible to to pry those two things apart. Yep. Um, I hear your point about the the impossibility of prying those two things apart. Do you expect that, that anything? Uh, is going to happen in the near or distant future? Or again, does this just um, uh, become a part of American life that we just accept and, and, and deal with? I mean, if you look at the pattern of mass shootings in the United States, there definitely was a surge in the deadliness of these events uh, in the wake of the expiration of the assault weapons ban. Uh, you know, we now have this, this rifle, in particular the AR-15, the Washington Post has a big uh, set of stories about it today and how it sort of became this this hallmark of Second Amendment activists, the AR-15. Uh, and it's a particularly deadly weapon, right? You know, this is not is in both the rate at which you can fire and the damage it can do to the human body. It's exceptional. And a lot of the mass shooting events that we see are a function of this rifle. And there, you know, there are millions of them out there. There are millions of them in the United States. And, you know, there's, there's not really a path forward for... You know, unless you have some sort of program where you pay people a lot of money to get the guns off the streets and you ban them in the future, they're they're out there, right? and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and I think that, that what that heralds is, unless there's some really sea change in how people feel about mass shooting events, that this is the norm for the immediate future. Yep. Um, how do you uh, how do you process that in this country there's so many guns, and we are so inept it seems at getting rid of the guns. Uh, and addressing reasonable gun laws in this country, uh, given all the evidence about gun violence that, again, continues unabated. Uh, the, the evidence, the data grows every other day, it seems. Um, what do you make of the fact, though, that here again today in Nashville, this is a shooting at a preschool. These are babies. Uh, my mind goes back, of course, Philip, to Sandy Hook. And it just seems to me that if we can't get a robust conversation 
that leads us to meaningful gun reform laws. If we can't get that when they're killing our babies, then perhaps I should stop holding my breath that we will ever take this issue seriously if for all the rhetoric that we spew about our children in this country. If, if, if nothing moves when, 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 when there are shootings at schools, and again, this is a preschool in Nashville, um, why should I ever believe that anything will be done on the issue uh, of, uh, of guns in our society? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, I, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old, mm-hmm. right? And my three-year-old's in pre-K, and my six-year-old's already had active shooter drills at his school. He's six. Wow. Right? He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't even know the word gun, and mm-hmm. we're, we're having these conversations with him at his school. I, and I don't know what to say to that. You're right. I mean, look, no one wants this to happen. No one wants people to go into schools with a gun. It's just that some people want to also have guns and own guns and fall back on the Second Amendment as, as a rationale for doing so. Um, and I think that's the, that's the impact. Yeah. Speaking of guns, um, uh, God, guns, and Trump, uh, thousands, as you know, turned out at a rally over the weekend. Uh, this is Donald Trump's first public appearance since speculating a week or so ago that he would soon be arrested. He has not as yet been arrested, uh, given that he was in Waco, Texas, for this rally over the weekend. Uh, had some pretty strong language. Uh, this is a family show, so I can't repeat what the president, former president said uh, about Alvin Bragg and the DA in, in Manhattan who's pursuing this case uh, via a grand jury, so I can't repeat what the former president said on this program. Uh, but he had some strong words. Um, but again, his first appearance since suggesting that he'd be arrested again. He has not as yet been arrested, but what, what do you make of this rally? Uh, and broadly speaking, you're writing about this. What do you make of the, the drama regarding one Donald Trump at this point? Yeah, I mean, the rally was really remarkable. Uh, it it over, overlapped two different threads of what Donald Trump has been doing recently. The first is really sort of winking at his audience and saying, hey, wouldn't it be a shame if, if there were violence that, that emerged in defense of me, right? Doing the sort of things that he did prior to January 6th, but also coupling that with very explicit rhetoric about pardoning the people who committed the violence in January 6th. Mm-hmm. So not only is he sort of winking about violence, but he's also saying, hey, look, these people who did that violence, I'm giving them a pass. If I become president again, I'm going to pardon them. You know, one of the things I think is really fascinating about, about Bragg in particular, and, you know, as well as other uh, black prosecutors in Fulton County and Lakeisha James, the AG in New York, in New York State, mm-hmm. is that he's been also trying to play up the reverse racism angle. Right? He's claiming that, it's, that Bragg and James, for example, are racist against white people. And what he's doing with that is he's really trying to trigger you know, one of the key indicators of Donald Trump's support in 2016 was people who felt as though whites were under attack in the United States. And what he's trying to do by saying that these prosecutors are racist is that he's trying to wink to his white audience and say, look, if these black people in power can do this to me, they can sure as heck do it to you as well, and now is the time to take a stand. And so it's really cynical in that regard, too, and I think it's an important subtext to pull out. No, I'm, I'm glad you put it out. It is, it's beyond cynical. I take your point. It also raises the question for me— um, uh, the, the issue, rather, of uh, how far this country's come. I'm the first to tell you that I believe that racism, Philip, is still the most intractable issue in this country. I'm the first to tell you that America is not yet a democracy as I see it. We are, at best, an experiment in democracy. We're getting there. Uh, we ain't quite there yet. If I had the time, I'd unpack that. We don't need to do that today. Um, but the point is, there are ways in which one can look at the progress this country has made, and you just put your finger on it. On the one hand, Donald Trump is using uh, the race of these prosecutors cynically uh to play to his uh to his base on the other hand it is fascinating that here we are in 2023 and the irony is that the three persons who now have the power to prosecute donald trump 
who may in fact bring charges against him are not white men or white women, but three African-Americans, Fannie Willis in Fulton County, Alvin Bragg in New York uh, City, Manhattan, uh, Letitia James, the attorney uh, general in the state of New York. It really is fascinating. So on the one hand, he's using it cynically, uh, to quote you. On the other hand, it does speak to uh, how this country has moved uh, in the in the decades past, that three African-Americans are not empowered at that level, and three African-Americans might be the persons to uh, to prosecute and indict uh, a former president. That That's pretty amazing when you think about it. It is, but it also overlaps with the fact that uh, America's cities are much more heavily democratic, mm-hmm. right? And that, that African Americans tend to are more likely to live in urban centers, right? You know, when we talk about Fulton County, we talk about New York County, we're talking about Atlanta, New York City, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the 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 overlap. But this too, this is an important and I think underrecognized point: the fact that African Americans are so much more likely to be members of the Democratic Party than the Republican Party gives the Republican Party and gives people like Trump a proxy that they can point to when they are looking to exclude Democrats. When they're looking to cut down on Democratic voting, they can cut down on black voting, right? And mm-hmm. so there, are, there is a racist subtext to it, but it also is this handy shortcut that they can use in calling out Democrats by focusing on black Americans. And so that's part of what we're seeing here, too. Uh, we know the Republican Party has not been shy at all about uh, advancing the notion of voter suppression in states, cities, counties, all across the country. Uh, and we know uh, that Trump is the best, uh, one of the best when it comes to messaging. He clearly knows uh, how to make his point. Uh, I wonder whether or not you think we're going to see more of this. I mean, you underscored in this conversation brilliantly, and I'm glad you did. But in the days ahead, I wonder whether or not you think this is something that can get traction. I mean, who who, who knew uh, a few years ago that we'd see the banning of books and teaching truth in the classroom? We'd see, uh, you know, critical race theory as, 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 as a political boogeyman, as it were. But again, you put your finger on something that I can see gaining traction uh, with that rabid part of his base, and that is pointing fingers at these Negroes who are maltreating the former white male president, and if they can do it to me, they can do it to you. That's one of those dogs that will hunt, I think, Philip, with his base. Yeah, and I think yeah, the last time you had me on the show, I was talking about a book that I'd written that came out in January, which really looks at the ways in which age plays into this, right? Mm-hmm. We had this older baby boom and older generation that's very, very heavily white, unusually white, uh, relative to the rest of the population, and they see an America that's changing. They see America becoming more diverse. They see American democracy becoming more pluralistic, and they're freaked out about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying all of them are. I'm not saying all old white people are conservatives. In fact, you know, the baby boom generation is about evenly split between the parties. But the Republican Party is much more heavily white than the Democratic Party. And these appeals work for now. It's a very old party. It's a very white party. And if you say to them, hey, well, let's make America great again, wink, wink. Mm. Right? They understand the subtext to that. They understand when Donald Trump is making these claims about African-American people in positions of power, they know what message they're supposed to take from that. I don't think that's a successful long-term message, in part because younger generations are much more diverse mm. than the, the current baby boom generation that's in power. Mm-hmm. However, it may work again for Donald Trump getting the nomination in 2024. Yep. Ouch. Uh, point well taken. Um, speaking of political news, uh, of which uh, Philip Mump and I are discussing right now, uh, obviously he's paying attention as a, a columnist for the Washington Post. I'm paying attention as a host of this program. You're paying attention because you're tuning in. But Philip wrote a piece uh, about who isn't paying attention to political news. Uh, we'll unpack that when we come forward. You're listening to Philip Bump on KBLA Talk 1580. Continues right now. Right now. Right now. Philip Bump of the Washington Post. I guess we should get ready for a uh, national speech from President Joe Biden once again. Breaking news out of Nashville. 
Philip and I were just discussing this moments ago, three children dead in this shooting at this preschool in Nashville. We were, again, discussing this moments ago in case you've just tuned in, but now we know that, uh, as I said earlier, it's a developing story. Uh, it will be uh, updated throughout the day, but there are three, uh, three uh, precious babies uh, dead at this preschool shooting in Nashville. Um, so what's the president say this time around, Philip? I don't know. I don't know what do you say, right? I mean, this is sort of where Barack Obama was by the time he left office. It's just like, you know, what else can you say? What, what else can you say? How how many times can you express empathy and recognize that your hands are tied in terms of being able to do anything about it? I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what you say. Yeah. Um, that's difficult when you're a college for the Washington Post or a talk show host, and, and we're all stumped. Sure. We are all stumped by this one. Yeah. Nobody knows what to say or what to do in a Congress that uh, is beholden, frankly, to uh, uh, the NRA, uh, and for that matter, broadly speaking, uh, to big money and big business, uh, it's hard to see how you move on this, even when uh, your babies are being murdered. And that, that says something about our democracy, Philip, that that, uh, that we can't seem to move on a particular issue when we are witnessing with some regularity the killing of our children. And we can't seem to move the needle on this thing. I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I, I don't know what to say. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll just move on. Uh, sadly, um, I was uh, I was teeing up a moment ago uh, a piece you wrote uh, about who doesn't pay attention to political news. I thought I'd ask you to unpack that for our audience, for those who might not have seen your Washington Post piece. Yeah, sure. So there was a polling that was done by Grinnell College. It was fascinating because it really looked at it asked people how much attention they paid to political news. And one of the things we see is that the groups of people who are less likely to pay attention to political news are groups that are generally ones that have less power in American politics. They are less likely to have a college degree, uh, lower income, more likely to be non-white. Uh, and, you know, it's it, the question that arises then is, is it a function of they're having less political power and therefore they're less interested in political news? Or is it a function of being less interested in politics and political news lead you to having less political power. Mm. And I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that figuring that out, getting people more engaged, getting younger people engaged, getting more people of color engaged, getting people uh, who didn't have graduated from college, getting them more engaged in politics made an effect politics because they're voting more and more engaged in the political conversation. Mm. I'm wondering whether or not you think that we um, have gone so far uh, or dropped so low in this country that what's underlying the data you just pointed to philip is that we now have a nation uh not of skeptics but of cynics i've said many times and i, I suspect you and i agree on this that uh, skepticism is healthy i mean you are skeptical that's why you're a columnist for the washington post you're raising tough questions um nothing wrong with being skeptical but being cynical can be dangerous and my sense is that underlying the data again you just put your finger on we are now a nation of cynics and not skeptics and i'm not sure where that takes us either no, you're right, and I think that I think social media has played a big role in that, it's convincing people that they can just sort of make their own determinations and they just sort of throw up their hands about it. Uh, and I think it's you know that there is cynically an effort to try and exploit cynicism. You have people like Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump who are trying to encourage people to be cynical because that helps make them more powerful because they are trusted voices with the, with a certain community of people. So there are all these ways in which being skeptical and being conscientious about being a citizen of the United States. Those are not uh, self-reinforcing patterns. That it is, it is not easy to be someone who's like, you know, I, I, I assume that the government is working for good most of the time. You know, mm -hmm. that's not a commonly held position. It was very much a commonly held position years ago. 
often on you know, without being warranted. Uh, but it still was something that people felt as though, hey, here's what America is. We are this democracy. We're working together. We like our leaders. And we've sort of fallen away from that. And I think there's a lot of culprits, some of which, ironically, are themselves cynical. Indeed. Our remaining moments with uh, Washington Post columnist Philip Bump when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Two more things for our guest, Philip Bump, before I lose him in uh, about three minutes. Um, some, uh, um, some data here, speaking of data. We are 86 days, Philip, into the year. Uh, nearly 130 mass shootings so far. Right. Do the math. That's more than one a day, obviously. 86 days right. into the year we are today. Nearly 130 shootings. So we are averaging more, more than one mass shooting a day in this country. I can't put it any more plainly than that. Um, so I will, I'll leave it there. Let me close with this in the two minutes I have left. Uh, you mentioned Tucker Carlson a moment ago, and we, I want to weave these two things together if I can. We were talking moments ago about who really isn't paying attention to political news and who is. Uh, you mentioned Tucker Carlson, which takes me to Fox News. I'm wondering whether or not you think that the drama, uh, we'll leave it that way, the drama surrounding Fox News of late will have any impact on their news coverage going forward and whether or not uh, it ultimately matters to their audience, uh, the drama that they've uh, been going through. Um, I don't think it's going to matter much to the audience. I think one of the reasons that Fox News hasn't settled is they recognize that the business interests they have are to present themselves as being unfairly targeted uh, as opposed to recognizing that they did something wrong. I'm hoping, uh, legitimately hoping, that internally they will recognize that the way in which they've been approaching sharing information is at times grotesque and often deeply flawed. Uh, and that they do better, uh, but I'm not optimistic that that'll actually happen. Yep. So you don't, you don't, you're not holding your breath that uh, this in any way is going to uh, uh, put a dent in their integrity. I am not holding my breath. Wow. <laughs> no, sir, I'm not. <laughs> All right. Uh, that uh, just for the record, Philip, that that makes two of us. Uh, now that you ask, that that, <laughs> that that makes two, and I suspect there are more in this audience listening right now who feel similarly. But I uh, I'll, I digress on that. Uh, he is popular Washington Post national columnist Philip Bump, uh, who I've been delighted to have on this program to unpack some of these trending uh, news stories. Again, the story of the shooting. Another mass shooting where our children have been kid, uh, killed, three babies at least uh, so far, uh, dead uh, in uh, in Nashville. Philip, thank you for your time. We'll do it again, my friend. All the best to you. Thanks, sir. Hour two of Tavis Smiley. Uh, after news, traffic, and sports, uh, you're listening to, and we're glad about it, KBLA Talk 1580. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.